Oh, 
song that is. Well, it's so good to see you today in the Lord's house. If you're happy to be here today, say amen. Okay, very good. Please reach in the book rack right where you're seated and see if you can find one of our little friendship folders there. And if you'll be so kind to just put your name on that and give it to a person next to you or nearby, I will appreciate that today. Inside your Sunday Courier this morning, we have uh, this little announcement about our upcoming uh, membership class here at the church. Uh, it's after the second service on April the 7th. So if you've been attending our church for maybe you're just brand new in the church or you've been here for a little while, you've never attended one of these luncheons, please do. Uh, this is a chance for us to get acquainted, uh, just tell you a little bit about what we're trying to do in the church and uh, I think it'll be an inspiration for you. Tear, out, tear off the bottom portion there and put that in the offering plate. We'll reserve a place for you at the luncheon. We do want you to come. Uh, this is the time of the year when the church starts ramping up and all sorts of things start taking place. Uh, we had a big weekend here at the church. Some of you were involved in it. Uh, you're a little sleepy if you were involved in it. Our teenagers stayed up all night. Friday night. I used to like always, I was like that time when my kids went to that because they'd sleep the next day. I had some peace for a, a, long, a little bit of time after that. But it was great. Several hundred young people came to the church and uh, they were treated to an all night of fun and a, a good strong testimony uh, from uh, Seth, who was a former uh, Harlem Globetrotter, and uh, had a strong, strong story to tell, and I think a lot of teenagers were really touched, and I know that some of you stayed up all night trying to stay up with the teenagers. Thank you for, for that part. Uh, every Easter, we try to raise a 30 pieces of silver offering. This is a 30 pieces of silver above our regular giving. You know, we have to always have to mention that when we have special offerings. You know, we have to go above that because... The special, the regular offering is already spent. That's our budget. And so uh, we're asking our families to at least try to do $30 over and above your regular gift for Easter Sunday. Now, some people will like to do more than that. Of course, that's good. We can use that. But let's all try to get up to that, to that level. And we have some repairs and some renovations, remodeling that we'd like to do in our children's ministry. That big, long carpet downstairs that needs to be replaced, the ceiling and lots of other things and it's, it's written about here in your courier. So whatever you can do of course will be pre appreciated on that day. Let's stand together this morning and our ushers will come and we'll receive our morning offering together. We thank you very much for your faithfulness to the church in giving. I know that you are blessed as a result of it. Let us thank the Lord who gave it to us, all right? Dear Lord, we thank you so much for a means of income, a way to go make a living and provide for our family. We come now, Lord, to provide for the church family, uh, the assembly, the church that you provided for us all up here on the hill. We pray now that as we render back to you our tithes and our offerings, that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. You're the God of this city, you're the King of these people, you're the Lord of this nation, you are, you're the light in the darkness, you're the hope to the hopeless.
Another great song. What what a message that has, huh? Boy, just uh, thank you, thank you. Just drive around our town. What a need! What a need there is out there. Hi. Um, I yesterday afternoon I uh, went to uh, Colton's basketball game over in uh, Polish Hill. How many people know where that is? Polish Hill. We used to always hear about it. I finally arrived, and uh, it overlooks the south side. And uh, it's just amazing when you, when you get into the city. There's something that goes off in my mind when I get in the city. And I see all those houses jammed up against each other and all those people. And it's, I just think to myself, how are we going to tell these people about Jesus? You know, that always kind of like, it's a little haunting to me, really. Uh, but thank God for the churches that we have in our town and the work that they're doing in our town uh, to spread the word. We just need a few more of them. Let's open our Bibles, please, to uh, Revelation chapter 2 today. And uh, we want to begin reading this morning in verse number 8. We've been talking to you these days about the uh, seven churches, and uh, they are right there on the screen. Uh, that's modern-day Turkey. And there's Ephesus, which we talked about last week, Smyrna, right above Ephesus, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. And right off to the left, we have that little island of Patmos, and that's where John, the last remaining survivor of the apostles, was exiled uh, for preaching. Uh, they thought, well, we'll get rid of him, and uh, he won't cause us any more problem. And so he got out there alone with God, and God gave him uh, the book that we're reading from today, the book of Revelation. Uh, there it is in relationship to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the mother church of Christianity. Antioch is the uh, mother church of Gentile Christianity. And uh, these are the churches that grew up in the beginning of the church age. And so the Lord is now speaking to John who is stuck out there in that little island and he's saying now listen I want you to write a message to these churches and address it from me so in verse number eight we read to the angel of the church in Smyrna write these things says the first and the last and he who was dead and has come to life I know your works tribulation and poverty but you are rich and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has overcome shall not be heard of the second death. This is the church that was very much out of step with society, with culture. I think I've mentioned to you before that when the church was born, it was, um, it kind of flew under the radar for a while. People didn't recognize it much. It wasn't much of a force in the world. Uh, but after it began to get some traction and people began to see what the church was all about, they began to spot it. There's the church at Ephesus and Watch out for the church in Smyrna and be careful of the church in Laodicea and be careful of the church in Philadelphia. Uh, it started popping up on the radar. Uh, and uh, this was not good for the church because a lot of persecution resulted as a result of it. At first, the church was looked upon in Judaism as, as just uh, another sect, a division, a branch. But after a while, they finally decided this is a sect we don't want. This is a branch of our heritage that we reject. And then the government at this particular time was especially against the church, put so much pressure on the church. And so this was a church that was definitely out of step with its culture. Smyrna, like Ephesus, was a city of wealth. 
commercial greatness. Today, um, that church, Smyrna there, that's a modern city of Izmar, the third most populous city in Turkey today. Uh, this city was known at this particular time, biblical times, as the center of idolatry, uh, not only for false gods, but for the, uh, actually the Roman Empire. They say there was a street called the Golden Street there in Smyrna, and they had all these magnificent temples on that street. Uh, the temple of Sibyl, Apollo, Escleopas, Aphrodite, and a great temple to Zeus. But the worship of those pagan gods at this particular time was dying out. And the real focus was on the worship of the Roman Empire. Uh, the Roman worship uh, began kind of spontaneously because people were so proud of the might of Rome. And so they thought, well, Domitian, who was the leader of Rome, um, took that one step farther and instituted Caesar worship. It actually became compulsory. Once a year, a Roman citizen was to burn a pinch of incense on the altar to Caesar. And having done so, he would be given a certificate to guarantee that he performed this religious duty. At that time, Christians uh, had to burn that incense also. But, and they had to say that Caesar is Lord. Now, you know how that went over in the church. <laughs> it didn't go over well at all. The Christians wouldn't have anything to do with it. They wouldn't burn a pinch of incense and say that Caesar is Lord because to them there was only one Lord, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were willing to die because they believed that so strongly. And they were not willing to give their worship to Caesar. And so here we find this church that's way out of step uh, to say that they were politically incorrect would be a gross understatement. They were completely incorrect because they served the God of heaven. And so here we find this little letter in verse number 8, and uh, we find, first of all, the address. These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. The first and the last. The Greek word there is protos and eschatos. You've probably heard the word eschatology. It's the study of prophecy, the last things. Uh, Jesus said, listen, when you write this letter, this is the way I want you to address it. Dress it for me. I am the first and the last, the protos and the eschatos. And that's very interesting because in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 4, God himself identified himself the very same way, the first and the last, according to Isaiah 41.4. And we know that when Jesus came into the world, he didn't just proclaim to be another prophet from God. He proclaimed to be God himself. He said, I and the Father are one, John 10.30. And so he uses here the same terminology to introduce himself to this church. Notice what else he says in verse number 8. I'm the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I am that one they crucified on the cross, but here I am. I've come back to life. And this was really good because these people were all approaching, as we'll see in a minute, uh, the fires of persecution, the fires of martyrdom, and they needed to hear from someone who had already traveled that road successfully and was alive. And so in the next verse, verse number 9, he commends them. Let's look at these things. First of all, he talks about their works. He says, I know you're a working church. You know, working is good for the church. The church is about the works of Christ on earth. The church always is to perform good works. You know, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what that means is we can't present any good works to God for salvation. But once we are saved, that's when we, that's when we present our good works to God. 
That's when the Lord accepts the works of our hands once we become a Christian. And so this church was a working church. He says, I know your works. Now, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. We have that right here. Let's read this together, okay? By, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. I like the first part of that verse, and I think if you've lived any period of time at all as a Christian, you can echo that, by the grace of God I am what I am. God's blessing in my life has brought me this far. But then he says, I have labored more abundantly than you all. He said, listen, I'm a worker in Christ's vineyard. But then he goes on to qualify it, and he says, by the grace of God which was within me. You know, it's a one thing to be known as a worker. That's a good thing. But here he says, listen, my work comes from God. It is God that gives me the strength and the energy to work for him. Uh, he had what we call a good spiritual work ethic. You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says, talks about the work of the ministry. The ministry is hard work. You're in the ministry. I'm in the ministry. That means work. That means that we don't sit around just gazing at the stars, enjoying our salvation. That means that we get out there and we work the fields. We dig up the fields. We plant seeds in the fields. We water the fields. That takes work. That takes work. 2 Corinthians 11.23 is another one. Let's read this together. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, oft. Now, the Apostle Paul is a good example for you and me. He said, in labor is more abundant. He said, there's one thing that nobody can put their finger on in my life and say that I'm not a worker for Christ. He was proud of it. But he, but he was proud of it, but he always gave the credit to God. Uh, when I think of that, I think of Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Um, Philippians. There we go. There we go. Uh, let's read this whole passage together, okay? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure." Now, when I first started to read that verse, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, I didn't know exactly what it meant, but I think it means this. When the Lord saves us, he sends us into his workforce. Because we have no desire to work for God before we're saved, why would we do that? Our desires are, were then just to do the things that made us happy. But now we have a bigger purpose than that. Our, our bigger purpose is just not to be happy in the world. Our bigger purpose is to fulfill the work of God in our life, his plan in our life. And so we've been put into the Lord's work, work out your own salvation. And then he qualifies it, and, and this is what he says. For it is God who works in you. You know, see the word works there? It's the Greek word energio, from which we get the English word energizes. Okay? For it is God who energizes you, both, that's two, to will, that means to give you the desire, and to do. To do there is the same word, energio, from which we get the English word energizes. To do for his good pleasure. So we'll read it this way. For it is God who energizes you to give you the right will or the right desire and to give you the energy to carry it out for his good pleasure. 
This whole thing is of God. And so what happens a lot of times is we think, yeah, I need to be a worker for God. I guess I'll tell Jim Watts I'm going to come and help at the church. Or I'm going to be a worker for God. I want to help in the youth ministry. Or I want to be in the teenage ministry. I'll work for God. Well, you know, that's all good and that's all admirable. But that work really, that work really won't sustain itself in your life because you'll get tired and you'll get bored or something will happen to you and you'll say, hey, listen, this is not what I thought it was. But if you are surrendered to Christ and he is telling you, he is giving you these desires, it's not just your desire, but it's his desire. And then he gives you the energy to carry it out. There's going to be a flow in your life, a supply, a constant stream of inspiration and energy by the Holy Spirit to do the work of Christ. Because if you try to do it yourself, you'll be like the energizer rabbit that starts out good and you run out of energy quick. But if you rely upon the energy of the Lord, you can do this for an awful long time. So he says, listen, I know you're a church that really works, and that's commendable. Look at what else he says in verse 9. I know your tribulation... It's just not that he knows about their tribulation because we know that God knows everything, but he identifies with their tribulation because he's been through it. And there's no one who can identify with your trouble like the person who's been through your trouble before you faced it. When somebody sits you down and, and you're pouring your heart out to them and they say, listen, I know where you're coming from because I was there. That makes a person feel awful good. They're not talking to just a, a professor. They're talking to somebody that's actually walked in your shoes. That's what Jesus is saying here. I know your tribulation. I know what you're going through. Uh, and then he talks about what they're going through. Uh, look at it. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Uh, they were being persecuted from a synagogue, a church of, of the Jews. Uh, the Jewish people at that time, some of them, not all of them, of course, bitterly blasphemed Christ as the one who was hanged on a tree. How could they ever believe in Jesus? They thought that that, that was blasphemy, and so therefore they dislike very much Christianity. And Judaism became as much a tool against Christianity as emperor worship. And so here's this little church in Smyrna, which is trying to survive. And uh, the big synagogue down the street was giving them all sorts of persecution, and the Roman government was trying to get them to worship Caesar Man, they're in a lot of trouble, really. Let's look on. I know your works, your tribulation, and your poverty. This is on top of everything else. You ever talk about the, you ever refer to the straw that broke the camel's back? Poverty. There are two Greek words in the New Testament for poor or poverty. One of them means poor and able to help themselves through labor. Uh, years ago, people would say, that person is a poor person. Uh, they have a, just a, a day-laboring job. A day-laboring job was where the people stood on the corner and a truck came by and they would say, hey, listen, I need five workers for the field today. And the first five guys that could jump on, up on the truck got, got hired for the day. And at the end of the day, they paid them. And they live from day to what? To day. That's it. I mean... They didn't have an income. They didn't get a check on Friday. They got paid for what they did that day. They were poor. Poor as dirt, is the old saying. Now, that's one of the definitions of the word poor in the New Testament. But there is another definition of the word poor. And that is the one that's used here. And this definition is indigent beggary, poor and helpless. 
somebody that cannot support themselves, somebody that must rely on others for their sustenance in life. Some of you have been on mission trips and you've gone to foreign fields and you see people sitting on the street begging. Some of them, of course, are legitimate. The only thing they get is what somebody comes and drops in their little tin cup. That's the poverty that was in this church. Now, why would this church have that kind of poverty? Now, the Christians of Smyrna knew poverty because they were robbed and fired from their jobs because of persecution, because of the gospel. This was called economic persecution. Back in that day, they had unions. They called them guilds. And in those guilds, they would make the workers worship the Roman Empire. There was a lot of government pressure. And if the workers wouldn't worship the Roman Empire, they would lose their job. If they didn't show their certificate, you're out. The Christians were not about to show anyone a certificate. And so therefore, they underwent what we call economic persecution. This church, in spite of it all, was a good work in church. They had lots of opposition. They didn't have any money. But look what Jesus says in the next statement. But you are what? Rich. Now doesn't that make sense? Or does that make sense? Again, those of you who have been on mission trips, when you go to the third world countries and you see the joy of the people, you walk away and you say, man, they're happier than any group of people I ever saw. And it's not pretend. It's for real. And they're not, they're not waiting to buy the next cool thing, the next electronic gadget that comes out. They're not waiting for that. They're like waiting for the next meal. But uh, they're rich and you walk away and you say to yourself, boy, I wish I had what they had. Well, you know, whenever a person is in dire straits, doesn't it bring them closer to God? Doesn't it make them wrap them up in Jesus rather than the things of the world? And so that was this church. The Lord says, listen, you're rich. And they probably said, who, us? We always thought we were poor. Luke 12, 21 says this, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, you can walk out of this church this morning and you can become the most successful person you ever dreamed about becoming and you can be the most poverty-stricken person spiritually. Uh, how are, what does it mean, true riches? Well, in James chapter 2, the Lord talks about being rich in faith. You know, faith to me is the most important thing because that's the key that unlocks the door to heaven. Sometimes people say, I'm a person of faith. That's a good thing. And there are others who say, you know, I'm not a person of faith. I don't have any faith. My faith is in my wallet or my faith is in my bank account. My faith is in my company. Well, faith is the key. Spiritual faith is the key that unlocks the door to heaven. Whenever Thomas came to the Lord and identified the Lord as God, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me and you have believed, You've seen be and you believe because you've seen me. But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. Uh, we're living in the age of faith today. Jesus, if Jesus walked down the aisle in this church, I think every single person in this church would believe because you've seen him. But uh, that's not the way Jesus operates today. He says, listen, I want you to see me with the eye of faith and I want you to trust me. And that's harder. And so the people that had faith... Uh, were uh, sometimes very poor. In fact, James chapter 2, verse 5 says, God has not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. He has chosen them to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. Turn over to Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, please. I want to sh show you here a church that was completely the opposite. They were rich, but they were poor. The church of Smyrna was poor, but rich. Look at verse 17, Revelation 3. 
Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Here's a church back in that day that had lots of money. They said, listen, we don't need anything. And uh, the Lord says, listen, you've got a real problem. You are blind, you're miserable, you're naked. And he says, now I'll tell you what I want you to do. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich. He said, you need true riches. You, you have a bank account, but you don't have a spiritual bank account. That you may be rich with white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. You need white garments. Now, white garments in the Bible are emblematic of salvation. When you see somebody with a white garment, that means salvation. Turn over just another page to the right. Revelation 7, verse 9. Here we see a, a victorious picture. Sometimes people say, well, how many people are going to be in heaven? This is the answer right here. Are you ready for it? After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no man could number. That's how many people. Of all nations, tribes, people, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes. Notice that, white robes. The mark of salvation with palm branches in their hands. That's why I love Palm Sunday. White robes, palm branches, nobody can number them. There are so many of them in heaven. And look what they're doing. And crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. What a scene. All these believers with their white robes, all these angels around the throne, worshiping God. Nobody could number them. There were so many of them. Well, the church in Revelation chapter 3, uh, they had money to write checks for anything that came along. And the Lord said, listen, that won't get you to heaven. You're poor. You're blind. You need a white robe. You need salvation. You need to be saved by faith. And so a person who is saved by faith is rich. Now, let me, don't misunderstand me this morning. There's nothing wrong with having money. We need money in this world. And that's why we're trying to give this class. Some of our people are over there right now learning how to create a budget and how to get, uh, get their financial life in order. Money is important. But oftentimes it controls us. Uh, material riches are sometimes acquired and maintained at the expense of true spiritual riches. Well, here he says, listen, to the church. Let's go back to the church of Smyrna. Uh, he's talking to them and he says, listen, uh, things are bad for you. You're, so, you're dirt poor. But things are going to get worse. Now, this doesn't sound like modern preaching. Because you can turn on the television in your house and you can hear some preacher say somewhere, listen, uh, things are going to get better from you. Just pray over your mailbox and uh, the check will be in the mail. This is not that kind of preaching right here. This is from Jesus. I want you to look at it in verse 10. Do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. What he's saying is, listen, you think you got it tough now? It's going to get harder. Now, I know modern preaching would say, well, why don't you just rebuke the devil and he'll flee from you. Jesus says, listen, you can't do that here. The devil, I'm allowing the devil to tempt you and to throw you in prison. Nobody in the church at Smyrna was able to stand up and say, listen, by faith, I became the mayor of Smyrna. No, this was a small group that was under a lot of persecution, and the Lord said, listen, the devil is going to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. You think things are bad now? They're getting worse. 
The interesting thing about this whole story this morning is the fact that there is no chastening to this church. Remember the church we talked about last Sunday? The Lord says, listen, you have a problem. Uh, you've left your first love. You need to repent, get right with God. There is no chastening to this church. And I just presume that because this church was under such pressure or so poor that they were so close to God, they were walking closely to God. No, no rebuke for this church. But there was some counsel. And look at verse 10. Do not fear any of these things. Stop being afraid. The Lord just told them they're going to jail. <laughs> the Lord says, listen, don't be afraid. Now, the word here, afraid or fear, do not fear, is a command. It's a, it's a command by God. Don't be afraid. Listen, do, do not be afraid. Uh, some of these things. Do not fear any of these things which you're about to suffer. This sounds so much like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Uh, the Lord says, listen, all they can do is take away your life. Just, that's all they can do to you. And so this is a good message for everybody and every time. That's all they can do. You know, when you have faith in the Lord... I'll tell you, it does matter if you lose your life, but it doesn't matter too much because we know where we're going, amen? We know where we're going. And I tell people all the time, you can't threaten me with heaven. Come on. You can't threaten me with that. I know exactly that the Bible says to be absent in the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. That sounds pretty good. You read the news, you want to do that tomorrow, right, or today. Stop being afraid, but remain faithful unto death. Faithfulness is a, is a wonderful virtue. You know that? A lot of times people are discouraged in church and they say, you know, I'm not very talented. I don't have too much to give to the church. If you're faithful, I'll tell you what, God will use you. A long time ago, somebody told me that 90% of success was showing up. And if you show up in the church, God will show you how to be used in the church. God will use you. You don't have to have a lot of talent, and you don't have to, I don't think you have to have any, really. Uh, you just have to be available, that's all. And when you're available, God will pick you up and take you and use you for his glory. Uh, you know, the church is a good place to encourage each other, and the Lord here is encouraging these churches because the church is the body of Christ on earth. We are the light, as we saw last week. I, I said last week that almost everything good has happened to me in the church. I gave my life to Christ in the church. I met my wife, Joanne, in the church. I dedicated myself to preach the gospel in the church. I raised my family in the church. Uh, church has been good to me. And you know, the church can be good to you too if you have the right attitude toward the church. Uh, it's a place to encourage each other. Uh, if you don't expect perfection, the church will be good for you. If you do, it won't work. If you come to the church and you exercise forgiveness, it'll work. If you develop a servant's heart, the church will work for you. I can never remember a time, and I'm just saying this because I'm old enough to say this now. I can never remember a time that I thought about the church as something to get something from. I always thought of the church as a place to give something to. And you know, and, and I give God the credit for that, and I, I'm not putting myself up on a pedestal. I just never thought as the church. Be, but because I see people today coming to churches trying to get something all the time. You know, what can the church give me? What can I get out of it? Listen, that's the wrong attitude. That's the wrong attitude. 
If you drive up on this hill and say, what can I give today to the church? If I talk and I converse with somebody in the church, can I encourage them? Can I put my arm around them and say, hey, listen, come on, I'll pray for you. Uh, you'll walk out of here and you'll say, boy, I got something out of the church. I didn't come to get anything, but I got something because I gave something. And Jesus said, it's more blessed to what? Give than receive. And then there's the challenge. And that's the last thing. Don't be afraid. Be faithful and you'll receive a martyr's crown. And you won't have to go through the second death. Now that's interesting. Look at verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be heard of the second death. What's that? Well, the second death is hell. You know, you don't hear that word too often, but it's in the Bible. It's the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. It's where Satan is going to be placed forever with those who are not under the blood of Jesus. He says, you'll not be heard of the second death. And so here's this little church. And so let's transport ourselves back there. Here's this little church. They don't have any money. They're being persecuted and thrown in jail. And the Lord says, don't be afraid. All they can do is take your life. That's all. Don't fear anybody who can take your life because you won't be hurt of the second death. You will have eternal life. You know, the first death cuts us off from life as we know it. The second death cuts us off from eternal life. And what a tragedy that would be. What a tragedy that would be. If you're here in this church today and you're saved, you'll never face the second death. One death you probably will face, and that's your physical death, but that will just transport you into heaven. That's the porthole through which you go into heaven. Uh, this church was persecuted, and the pastor of this church was Polycarp. And uh, we have a little clip about him. I want to show you what happened to him. He was the pastor of this church that we're talking about. And so, Cindy, if you'll, if you'll run that. As the Roman Empire flourished here in Smyrna, it became a pretty rough place for Jews and Christians. Both Jews and Christians were monotheistic faiths, and the Romans instituted emperor worship. And anybody caught not bowing a knee to uh, an image or an idol of the Caesar was subject to pretty harsh treatment, even death. In fact, in 156 AD, one of Christianity's most famous early church fathers, Polycarp, was burned at the stake and martyred right here in Smyrna. Polycarp was a man born in 70 AD who came to believe in Christ at an early age. He had the opportunity later to study directly under the Apostle John and others who had had direct association with Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. Pretty cool that he was only one degree separated from Jesus himself. Polycarp was eventually appointed by John as the bishop of the church in Smyrna, where he faithfully ministered for many years. It was under the rule of Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius that the persecution of Christians became more intense. In the year 156 AD, Polycarp was arrested by Roman soldiers and was taken before the local proconsul here in Smyrna and urged to utter the phrase, Caesar is Lord, and offer a small pinch of incense to the statue of the emperor. It was a simple formality that would have spared Polycarp from torture and death. His refusal to do so infuriated the bloodthirsty mob. Then, according to a Smyrnian letter recording the event, as Polycarp was being dragged to his place of execution, a voice was heard from heaven by all the believers that were present. The voice said this, Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. Then, standing in the arena, Polycarp was urged one last time to renounce Christ. His response, well attested in historical accounts, was this. Eighty-six years I have served Christ. And he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Polycarp was soon led to the stake to be burned alive. Claiming that God would give him the strength to remain on the stake without moving, he asked to be tied instead of nailed to the stake. 
Then, after Polycarp uttered his last prayer, the fire was lit. To the astonishment of the crowd, the flames merely swirled around him as if a wall of wind was protecting him, and his body was unscathed. The executioner was then ordered to plunge a sword through the flames into Polycarp. After doing so, as the letter records, Polycarp's blood gushed forth and extinguished the fire. One of early Christianity's most important church fathers was dead. His life and death was a living testimony of faith that would endure for 2,000 years. But the death of Polycarp backfired, for his conviction and witness went on to inspire and embolden thousands of saints after him. He is a tangible illustration of the fact that during the times of the greatest persecution, the Christian church grows the most. So this is the, uh, the pastor of the church that we've been talking about this morning. That's him right there. He gave his life for Christ because he wouldn't burn incense and say Caesar is Lord and get his certificate because there is only one Lord, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you and I may never have to face a time like this, but we don't know. In the meantime, how do we respond uh, to living the Christian life? Romans 12.1 says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is only your reasonable act of worship. Uh, we may not stand at a stake or be burned or be run through with a sword, but the Lord says, listen, I want you to give your life as a living sacrifice. Lay it all down. And what a joy that is to be able to do that. The younger you do it, the greater it is because you have more to give to God. So I want to encourage you today, church, to do just that. Give your life, all of it, every bit of it to Christ, and he will bless you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I wonder how many people here there are in our service, there is in our service this morning that has never accepted Christ as, uh, as Savior. You can today in this church. You can reach out to Christ. He's waiting to hear from you. And he's only a prayer away. You don't have to do anything to be saved. You just have to embrace Jesus. Turn away from the lifestyle that you're living in sin and turn to Christ for forgiveness and give him your life. Let him be your Lord rather than someone else or some other thing in your life. And when that happens here in your life, the Holy Spirit will come into your heart and will give you the strength to live the Christian life. Dear Lord, we thank you for this lesson that we've received today from your word about uh, the church at Smyrna as uh, they never gave up working for Christ. They always showed up even as poor as they were under immense persecution and was willing to go to seal their faith with their blood because they believe in you so strongly. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to have a belief that is similar to that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song this morning. And as we sing together, if there's something on your heart today that you'd just like to come and pray about, I want to invite you to do that as we sing. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken and I'm accepted you were condemned and I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again and I'm forgiven because you were forsaken and I'm accepted you were condemned and I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again
my King would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. Now it's my joy to honor you in all I do. I Good afternoon. Um, I am in charge of the Easter extravaganza. It's coming up in two weeks, and I just wanted to give you a heads up um, about the event. If you need a flyer, I have some out on the table back there. If you'd like to volunteer, we would um, gladly um, have you as a volunteer. Also, if you'd like to make a cake, if you have not signed up to make a cake, um, I do have 52 cakes as of right now. My goal is 70. So if you can make a cake, that would be greatly appreciated. Also, um, please keep us in your prayers as we continue to finish um, all of the work that we have for the next two weeks. We have um, a lot more to do, and um, the eggs are done being stuffed, so that's, that's a praise. But um, please keep us in your prayers, and um, please, please pray for the children that will be coming up here, that they'll accept, accept the message that we have for them and accept Lord as, um, as their Savior, Lord. Amen. And um, I just thank you and bless you. Amen. And, uh, thank thanks. you. Thank you, Jenny. Jenny, we love Jenny, man. She's like, I call her superwoman. She can do it all, man. She just, she's all over the place. She has that energy I wish we had, all had. <laughs> she does a terrific job. We bring the kids up here because we want to try to introduce them to Christ. That's what a church is about. Church is not about a coffee club. It's about introducing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you for the part that you have every week in this church. Turn around and shake hands with everybody you can. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>